We thank you for visiting Christian Bible Temple and pray the following message speaks to your heart. Let us open our Bibles this morning to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. Genesis, chapter 2. God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made every, every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We see in these verses after the creation of man that God put everything under man's dominion and prepared a garden. Eden means delight in Hebrew, a place of great beauty and excellence this must have been. This demonstrates the love and favor of God towards all of us, toward man, who is his most beloved creature. Now, to the east of the writer who's writing the book of Genesis, when he finished it, he put man there. Now, God provided in this place everything man needed to be happy. Everything he provided. Man in his innocence was happy in a garden adorned by nature, not by art or buildings. Now, the roof of his house was the sky, and the floor was the earth. Surrounded by trees and vegetation that could not even be compared with all the glory of Solomon. Every kind of tree pleasant to the sight and good for food was given to him in the garden. And there are two important trees mentioned here. The tree of life. It's mentioned again in the next chapter at the fall of man. And the tree of life reappears. The Bible doesn't mention the tree of life again until the last chapter of the Bible, the book of Revelation, that tells us that in the new heaven and in the new earth, there will be the tree of life, which is a symbol of the continuation of life, of happiness, immortality, and eternal delight through its creator, on condition of perseverance in that state of innocence and obedience, of course. So here we see the tree of life. But then there's another tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And again, this tree appears in chapter 3 at the fall of man. Man already knew good. God gave a commandment regarding this tree. He did not give any commandment regarding any other tree. Man had ample freedom to eat from any tree he wanted, except one. 
he already knew good, as I said before. And um, he gave a commandment, though, regarding this tree. To disobey this commandment would be to know evil experientially. These trees are visible means which, by virtue of divine grace, are agents through which man may come to experience the knowledge of good and evil, as well as eternal life. The invisible is obtained by visible means or agents, just as the church ordinances, same thing. God gave them the choice, and many times in the scriptures, God gives man a choice. Moses, when he brought the uh, descendants of Israel out of uh, Egypt, towards the end of his life in the book of Deuteronomy, just before he was to go to be with the Lord, he tells the uh, people of Israel these words. He says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death blessing and cursing therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live God always wants us to choose the right thing God never says choose death God doesn't say choose curse. He says choose life. Don't choose what is bad. Choose what is good. When we make wrong choices and then we see the consequences of those wrong choices, what do we do many times? We start questioning God and say, why did God allow this? If there is a God in heaven, why do I go through all the suffering I'm going through? Well, examine yourself before you blame God. How come I, he doesn't bless me? I, I pray. I heard this so many times. I pray and he doesn't answer my prayers. Oh, yes, he does. He answers your prayers every time. He says yes, he says no, and he says wait. God is sovereign. He has the right to say anything he wants. I was talking to somebody the other day who had been raised with the Jehovah's Witnesses or was with them in a long time. And one of the questions he said to me, how come I don't believe that God will, there's no such place as hell. I said, of course you don't. I said, because you were raised in a cult. You don't believe there is a hell. You don't believe man has a soul. And you don't believe that Jesus is God. So why don't you go out there, drink, eat, and be merry, and, you know, don't forget, forget the Bible. Oh, but I can't accept that. Well, that's your problem. You can't accept that. See? I don't deserve that. I said, that's your problem. You think you deserve something. You know what? If God sent us all to hell today, he'd be perfectly justified. He owes us nothing. I am surprised. Not that he sends people to hell, though God does not send anybody to hell, if you're going to be technical about it. People who go to hell go there because they choose death not life. I said, what I am surprised about is that God sends, takes anybody to heaven. That's what I'm surprised about. So be grateful. 
God doesn't owe us anything. It's easy to understand in this society in which we live today, the entitlement society. Did you ever see all the commercials on TV? You are entitled to this. You're entitled to nothing. If you're a Christian, all your rights belong to God. You're not entitled to anything. Whatever God gives us is by His grace that He gives us. Because out of the goodness of His heart, He gives it. Not because He owes it to us. So when we choose the right things, we have blessings. When we choose the wrong things, we have bad consequences. So you choose every day that you every day we make choices, don't we? Every choice you make every day affects the rest of your life. So make sure that you make the right choices in life. Okay? Now let's go to verse 10. It says, now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it parted and became four riverheads. The name of the first was Pishon. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hidekel. It is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now in this garden, before the fall of man, there reigned justice, perfection innocence in heaven also there will be a river that comes from out the throne of the lamb we're told in Genesis 22 verse 1 there's a river that comes out out of the throne of God okay which gladdens the city of God there's one of the hymns that we sing is glorious things of thee are spoken Zion city of our God and that's taken from the book of Psalms, where it talks about the city. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. Psalm 46, verse 4. This luscious garden would require an abundance of water, more than the mist that water everything at the time of creation. Here we see how God guaranteed the freshness and the greenness of the garden by means of a river coming out of Eden. Now this river divided into four arms of rivers. From these four, only two can be identified even today, even though they may not flow the way they did back then. They no longer proceed from the same origin or source. Though it is said that their present sources in the highlands of the country of Armenia are only 2,000 steps apart. The most probable is that the location of these four rivers is not very possible today due to the tremendous topographical changes caused by the flood. Don't forget that this is all before the flood. When the flood came, all the topography 
change, okay? Now, the river Hidekel is identified as the Tigris River, and that's mentioned in the book of Daniel, okay? And it's west of Assyria now, not east as it is tells us here. Uh, the Pishon or Pishon is probably the Ganges or the Indus rivers in India. Havila is the land of sand. Some people say it's Arabia. We don't know that. And the Gihon could be the Nile because Kush is Ethiopia. The God of love created man to love him for his own pleasure and to show him his grace. That's why John the Apostle tells us in his first epistle in chapter 4 tells us this. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Okay? Love proceeds from God, not the other way around. The Bible tells us God is love. And the first fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Okay? So we see that God demonstrates his love. He created man, and he displayed his love for man. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And from the very beginning, he's given him everything he needed and more to have a perfect life. And that's why also in the last book of the Bible in Revelation, we are told the hosts in heaven praise him and they say, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by you will they exist. And by your will, I should say, they exist and were created. And the Lord tells us, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians also that we have been accepted in the Beloved. The Beloved is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we must love him voluntarily. God does not force anyone to love him. You cannot force anybody to really love you. Anyone who loves you must love you voluntarily. And everyone you love, you love voluntarily. Okay? Do you, do you know, I, 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 there's something I learned in my 48 years of ministry. Some people just don't want to be loved. Some people love to just reject everybody, push everybody away. Do you ever meet people like that? My, how damaged can you get? Some people just don't want to be loved. They feel uncomfortable when somebody tells them, I love you. It's like, what do you mean? Of course, love in English could mean anything. Not in the Greek. We Greeks have love very well defined. 
when we use the right word, we know what we're talking about. See, when I tell you agape in the Greek, then you know that that's God's love. That's divine love. If I tell you eros, then eros is the erotic, carnal, fleshly love. And that word is not in the Bible. But agape is many times. It's God's love. And the other two loves, philia and sorie, also are in the Bible. Okay, they give us different shades of love. Didn't the Lord tell us, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you? Then what is the problem? Not only do we have to love, I mean, we, we have to love because he commanded it. But I don't think we, should, we need to love only because he commanded it, because we're busy to do it. I think we need to love voluntarily. Okay? Because God loved us voluntarily. Okay? And the Lord says, he who loves me, if you love me, keep my commandments. Who is the one who proves his love for God? The one who obeys him. You cannot tell me you love God and you disobey him. Just can't do that. Okay? Now then let's look at verse 15. It says, then the Lord, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may eat or freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now in verse 15 here, God prepared everything for man and gave him the responsibility to keep it. And let us note that God put him in the garden, which shows that man was created outside the garden to know the difference. Also, he was not created from the dust of paradise, but from common dust. And everything he had was given to him. As a matter of fact, we are told in the New Testament, what is it that you have that you have not received? And if you received it, then why do you boast as though you had not received it? When we were born, we were born with two eyes, a head, a mouth, two ears, a nose, arms, a complete body. We didn't have to be born and then go get those things. They were there. As a matter of fact, when you were born, your parents were there. You did not choose your parents. You may choose your wife. You cannot choose your children. You can choose how many you want to have. But you cannot choose how they're going to be. And you don't choose your parents. They were there. And sometimes, sometimes I even ask that question when I got saved. How come I have a father like what the one I have? person that I was talking to said to me, because that is the kind of father you need. That shut me up quickly. God doesn't make any mistakes. And I know fathers are not, are not perfect, especially in this day and age. They're not. And many, many fathers have failed miserably. We are a fallen race, and we're all deficient. And we grow up and we begin to detect the mistakes in our fathers. Their limitations and their faults. 
be careful not to criticize that because we all have limitations and faults. When you see something negative in life, you can do one of two things, either imitate it or determine to change, be different. But God makes no mistakes. Our parents were there. And when God created man, everything was ready. We read the six days of creation. Notice, God created everything, and the last creature he created was man. So when man was put in the garden, everything was ready for him, demonstrating God's love. Okay? So he put him in the garden. Um, therefore, he had nothing to boast about. Man could never boast and say, look what I have created. I made all this. No. God made all that. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 6.14, says, far, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have nothing to boast about. Like Nebuchadnezzar, he boasted, look this great Babylon that I have created. I made all this. And he did not even finish saying that, and God struck him with a disease called lycanthropy. He became like a wolf, like an animal. For seven years, he ate grass. The greatest king of the time became an animal. Hmm? God has a way of humiliating those who think they're something. So keep very low, close to the ground, so that if you ever fall, you don't have a long way to go. Amen? Yeah, it's called humility. And uh, the author of his being, which is the God, which is God, is also the author of his happiness. People try to find happiness today away from God, and they don't succeed. They will never succeed. Because happiness is found in the Lord. He is the author of our life, and he's the author of happiness. No one else can make us happy but the one who created us and knows us. Okay? Our state and condition is by grace through faith. After this come the works that we can do. God did not create us to be lazy, but to be creative and industrious. Thus we see how God placed man in the garden to tend it and keep it, just as he put us here to take care of his vineyard and work out our salvation with fear and trembling. He who does not work cannot be happy. The most miserable people in the world are those who are lazy. Okay? Did you ever notice how you do something and you accomplish something and you feel good about it? Yeah? Yeah? Desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. When we get something done, man, when I study and I, I reach a point where oh, it's finished, it's done I feel good about it I feel good about it the only bad thing is that when you come to preach it uh, it only takes a few minutes it's like preparing a meal you know, it takes hours to prepare a good meal and it only takes 20 minutes to eat okay, well, sermons are the same way it takes hours to prepare a good sermon a good lesson, this and that and then in a few minutes it's gone 
And it's even worse when you see people not paying attention while the pastor is preaching. And they're looking every which way except the pulpit, like some of you are doing this morning. But you know who loses out? I don't lose out. I already know all this. You do. You lose out. Because you come to church, and you don't listen, and you leave, and what happens? You didn't get anything from it. Choice. Choice. Choose life. Choose the right thing. And I'm not going to say anything about anybody coming late today because of the time thing. It happens every year. But thank the Lord, I think this is the last. They're not going to do this again. Yes. We've been praying for years. I've been praying for 55 years for this thing. Finally happened. So, don't tell me God doesn't answer prayer. It's his own time. Yes. Now, he who does not work cannot be happy, since even in Eden it was necessary to work, even though not like today. Okay? Now, people think that work came as a result of the fall. That's not true. Man was working and tilling the ground before the fall. So work is not a curse. Work is a blessing. Okay? So the thing is here that conditions were very different back then in the Garden of Eden. There was no fatigue. There were no thorns since this occurred after the fall. For now, man was in charge of adorning, designing, and tending the garden. The command exists even today. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, which I think is a verse that needs to be put in every welfare office. If you don't want to work, don't eat. Go on a diet. But if you want to eat, go and work. Did you ever notice that people who don't work always have something? Everything hurts. You know what I found out? I found out that when I have an aches or pains, all I have to do is go to the park and start walking. At first, it's, 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 it's hard. But after you do a couple of laps around the park, all the pains disappear, and I'm able to walk, and I come back home dancing, lighter, more energy. Hmm? Why? Because I moved. You got to move. We're such a uh, vegetating society. When you go to the supermarket, you go to a shopping center, don't park your car the closest you can to the store door. Park it all the way in the back, far away from the door. So you walk to the door. Don't be such a comfy, convenient type of a person. People that want to get something from the thing two blocks away, they get in the car. Walk! God gave you two legs. Walk. Huh? We become so, we're so spoiled. We're so spoiled. And then we complain why we're sick. Yeah. Now, uh, God told man to till or serve, right, the, uh, the ground. In the future, too, there will be work and there will be service. The book of Revelation tells us that in chapter 22, verse 3. We will be doing work in heaven. What? I don't know, but God does. And then in verses 16 and 17, 
we see that we find the commandment God gives man with regard to his responsibility as the free agent that he was. God always lets us know what we have to do or not do. Just that he lets us know the consequences we shall suffer if we disobey his holy word. First, God is the great creator and benefactor. Now, he appears as governor and legislator. God places the father of humanity under his divine law. Man is the only being capable of executing a reasonable service. Animals have instinct only. Man possesses reason, and though perfect in everything, God commands him something, which gives us to understand that God has the right to rule us, and we are under obligation to be ruled by him, and not allow our own will to be in opposition to his divine will. What is the problem with today? The problem is that everybody wants to do their own thing. And it sounds awfully familiar because that's exactly what they did at the times of the judges. Twice in the book of Judges it says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what seemed right in his own eyes. And what is the philosophy of today in the world? If it feels good, do it. Well, well you know what? It feels good for me to kill you, so I'm going to do it. That's so illogical. Man wants things that by being independent, that that's free. Don't confuse freedom with independence, or rather I should say independence with, with freedom. Independence is not freedom. Independence is depending on yourself. And the worst tyrant you have is yourself. I have to trust my feelings. Your feelings can deceive you. Because the heart is desperately wicked. We need to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And the Bible also tells us that he was anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. In other words, he was the happiest man. He obeyed the Father. What a satisfaction we have when we obey the Lord, obey his word. Yeah? Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Okay? Let us never be do, do, do something opposite the will of God. Because in the long run, you're going to lose out. Okay? Now let us note, besides, that God limited himself to just one ordinance. So as not to confuse man and at the same time show his mercy. In order for the commandment of prohibition not to be hard to obey, God balances it broadly with many permissions. He says you can eat from every tree in the garden. You can have anything you want. There's only one tree you can't touch. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now was that simple enough? Imagine if God had said, now you cannot touch any tree except one. That would have been difficult. But he said to him, you can touch anything you want except one. Made it easy. See? The Bible is not confusing. Religions are confusing. Man's philosophies are confusing. 
Man's thoughts many times are confusing, but the Bible, no, the Bible is simple. God's will is simple. He says, of every tree of the garden you may eat, each plus the tree of life. But one, it involves the strongest form of prohibition. He says, this one tree, no, in Hebrew, no. Okay? It is the, this restriction that would prove man's love for God, giving him the opportunity to reject his word if he wished. And you know, that is true. All you have to do is prove it with children. Tell children, do whatever you want. The only thing I don't want you to do is to step in that puddle. I guess what they're going to do. I give you three guesses. The first two don't count. Hmm? That's human nature. Exactly what you tell them not to do, that's what they want to do. And we are the same way. Listen, you know what we are? We are overgrown children. We forget that. You'd be surprised, as a pastor, how many adults I had to deal with in my life that acted worse than children. Now, how do we know when somebody is mature? You know how? When that person, man or woman, obeys God and doesn't complain about it. It's a delight. Amen? That's a sign of maturity. Eh? It would have been something totally appropriate and normal for man to be grateful to God for all he had done for him. He gave him life, a beautiful home, abundance of every good food in, every, in great variety, and all that he needed and wished. Having seen so much evidence of God's love, Adam would have to assume that every divine commandment was one more evidence of God's love, and therefore be ready to obey in everything. Obedience here is based on love and not on fear. If he rejected God and resented his commandments, he would be without excuse. The day he disobeyed, dying, he would die. That's the expression in Hebrew. The day you disobey me, dying, you will die. Okay? That is, certainly you will die. Death is separation from God. Death is not the end of existence. Death is separation from God. It is not that the fruit from the tree possess something magical, but that the act of disobeying something God had forbidden would cause man to know evil, that is, the rejection of God's will. Now, God in his kindness puts this commandment or this test in something very little and seemingly insignificant. Since Adam had an aversion to evil, for the only thing he knew up to now was good. Okay? The fruit was bad only because he was prohibited, which turned, turned it into something more apt for the testing. Now, the restriction is done over the desire of the flesh and the mind, which are in, the, in corrupt man two fountains of sin. 
the prohibition restrained his appetite or sensual delights and also his ambition for curious knowledge so that the body could be ruled by his spirit and his spirit by God. And that's why the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 these words that it says that we were all dead in trespasses and sins and then finally in verse chapter 2 verse 3 of Ephesians says among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath just as the others before we were saved we just went along with the rest of the world doing all the things the world does which is the lost state of man away from God okay this is how man was created, and this was his state of perfection, alien to all evil and to an incomplete communion and happiness with his creator. God says, you can do anything you want, eat anything you want, everything is at your disposal, except one thing. And what did he do? So far, nothing. In chapter 2, nothing happened. In chapter 2, there's still all blessing. But then when we come to chapter 3, we're going to see the consequences of disobedience. See, God told them, you cannot eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So like I said, it's, it was not something magical about the tree. The fact that he disobeyed God made it evil. Okay? To him who knows to do good, and doesn't do it to him it is sin even if it is something good okay now some of you that are grown up you can tell you ask your father or your mother can I borrow the car no not today and you go out and you borrow the car and you take off with the car now is driving a car evil per se no the car is not evil Driving is not evil. But the fact that you disobeyed them, that's what makes it evil. That's why it says obedience is better than sacrifice. In the book of 1 Samuel. Because disobedience and rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. When you rebel, whether it's against your father or your mother, against the pastor, against government, against police out there, against your boss that you work for. When you, when you disobey authority, you're disobeying God. Because all the authorities were placed there by God to do your own thing. Be careful with that, okay? Be careful with that. Learn to obey. Now, I'm not telling you to obey something that is wrong. If government comes and says, you can't read your Bible anymore, they can go fly a kite. Because I'm going to continue reading my Bible. And if they take my Bible away, praise God, I've memorized a lot of it. They cannot take away what I have memorized. Are there, is there such a thing as a bad law? Yeah. 
Okay? There's a lot of laws that are bad. Man-made laws, but not God's. God's law, every law that God set down is good. And when we disobey God, we are wrong. And we're not blessed. Now, if you want to be blessed, obey. Follow the steps of the Lord Jesus Christ. Walk in his footsteps. Follow him. He's the captain of our salvation. Where he goes, you go. And you know what? You do that, you'll never fall into an ambush. Because he knows where he's going. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. Follow me. We thank you for listening to this message. And pray that the word of God spoke to your heart. To listen to previous sermons, please visit us at www.cbttbc.com or anchor.fm forward slash cbt hyphen sermons.